Hi, good morning. Good to see everybody here with us at our main campus. Welcome to those who are joining us online. So don't have any announcements today, so we're going to jump right into uh, what we're going to be talking about. So last week we started this new series called uh, Grown Up Prayers. So if you weren't with us, I want to make sure that you get some context behind, like, um, what are we going to be talking about, why this series, and why is it important? So it started with this idea of like, well, this is part of what I'm going through when it comes to the idea of prayer. And I think that it's good for us as Christian people sometimes to just be honest, right? Like, hey, I've prayed some prayers. Like, I've prayed some, like, help me find my car keys, and I found them. But then when I pray the prayers of, like, the things that really matter, you know what I mean? Like, the things that if God doesn't come through, then you know, this isn't going to happen the way that I want it to happen. Like, when you pray those prayers, there are times, if not at least every time, maybe even with me, that every time I've prayed those prayers, it's like, oh, wow, it didn't get answered. So, like, what's going on, and how does that work? And so I think it's okay to talk about that because, in fact, when Sherry got her diagnosis, I mean, one of the things that she had said is we we have prayed, you know, because we'd experienced a decent amount of loss beforehand, and we'd also prayed for many people here at the church, you know, of people that had lost, you know, sons and daughters and husbands and wives and prayed that, you know, God would do a miracle, and he didn't, you know. And so Sherry's like, hey, I don't even, you know, almost don't know if I want to pray because every time I've prayed and put my hope in something, you know what I mean? Like, you put your hope in it. Everything that you have, you put it in it. You're almost afraid to let yourself go there because then when he doesn't answer the prayer, then what are you going to do, right? Now, again, it doesn't change that we still did pray and we still did trust and we'll continue to still pray and we'll continue to still trust. But I think the issue is, is that we as Christian people need to think through this idea of prayer. What is the purpose of prayer? Because if the purpose of prayer is, is that God answers you every single time, you're going to end up like me, disappointed. Right? Like, if you think that the purpose of prayer is, is that God is somewhat of a favor machine, and if you just, you know, say the right things or put in the right amount of money and press the right buttons that you give what you want, then you're going to end up being disappointed. So if God isn't that, and if prayer isn't that, then what is Prayer. Well, this series hopefully will help us understand what is the foundation of prayer and what is it that when Jesus taught his disciples, which is an important aspect of this. And the reason that I say that it's important is, is that the disciples grew up praying, just like a lot of us have, right? A lot of us grew up, people around us prayed, we've prayed, um, we've seen other people pray. So you grow up with prayers right, in, in your life, but when you read Scripture and you look at the way Jesus did it, it's different than the way that the disciples grew up knowing what prayer was like. So the disciples, not only seeing what he did being differently, but seeing the way that he responded or reacted was different, they're like, teach us how to pray, like we want to know. And I think, honestly, that's pretty humbling, you know, if you were one of the disciples or even put yourself in that same situation, would you be okay saying, well, it's possible that maybe I don't know what I'm doing, right? Maybe I don't completely understand 
what prayer is. And, and maybe I do need to learn what that looks like. I think it's good for us to humble ourselves and say, you know what, there's something that we can learn, right? I think it's okay to humble ourselves and say, I'm going to have been praying for years, but God can still teach me something. So that's my hope for you. Even if you've been praying for all of your life, and even though you think you might have all of the answers when it comes to prayer, my challenge to you is, is to open your heart and your mind to be like the disciples and say, Jesus teaches how to pray. So Matthew 6, that's what we're going to be looking at, same scripture we looked at last week. So Matthew 6, and we're going to look at verses 5 through 15. Now, Matthew 6, 5 through 15, this is, again, the disciples said, teach us how to pray. Jesus came back and said, okay, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And he lays out this foundation for each one of us to look at. So I'm going to read all the way through it, just like we did uh, last week. And I'm going to recap some things, because if you remember, last week's message was the foundational piece of prayer, like this is the purpose, and then we got to move on to other things after that. So if we miss the foundational uh, purpose of prayer, then we're going to miss what God wants to do with the rest of it. So here's how he starts. Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. It says, and when you pray, and again, this is an assumption, and, and I would assume for all of us, this is something that we need to make sure that isn't just an assumption, but it's something that we do. As a Christian person, you should have a prayer life, right? It shouldn't be abnormal to you to think through prayer. Like, it should be something you're doing. Even if we're not doing it right, maybe, at least we're doing it and we're attempting to have, you know, a relationship through prayer with God. So he says... Don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to, have be, to, have, uh, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. So don't be like them. Don't stand on the street corner. Don't, you know, babble a bunch of prayers just so everybody can see you. But this is what he tells you to do, right? Now, uh, this has garnered a little bit of confusion, so I'm going to explain it here in just a little bit. But it says, when you pray, this is what you should do. You should go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So he tells you foundation of prayer. Now, again, I think a lot of people struggled with this concept and are still struggling with this concept because he says, if you're going to pray, you need to do what? Go to a room and close the door. And then I think for most of us, we're going to be like, well, what about driving down the road? Or what about running on the treadmill? Or what about being on the tractor? Or what about, you know what I mean? What about just taking a walk and I'm uttering prayers? Does that mean that God's not hearing my prayers? And again, we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But he says, listen, to start with getting the purpose of prayer right, just so you know, you can't get that done walking down the road. You can't get that done on a walk. And you can't get that done as you're doing something else. If you want to get the purpose of prayer right, you're going to have to get alone. And there is some work to do, right? And we're going to get to what that work is here in a second. He says, then, when then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. 
And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they think that you will be heard because of the, they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now, I don't know if you guys are like me, but when I read that, because I would assume, I'm just going by my you know, history of prayer and what I think I know about most people, is most people's prayer life revolves around either your needs or the needs of other people. Is that fair to say? Like, you're praying for somebody else, or somebody asks you to pray for them, and you're praying for them, right? And now Jesus says, so just so you know, you don't have to be like the pagans and say a bunch of words. And the reason you don't have to say a bunch of words is because they already know what you need, right? So then, don't you ever think this? So then, why pray? You can say yes, because I mean, I, I mean, it's, right? Like, you come to this place where if the majority of your prayer life revolves around letting him know what you need and letting him know what other people need, and then Jesus comes back and says, hey, and by the way, you don't really have to say all those things. Like, I love that you do. That's why it answers the question, does he hear you driving down the road when, you're praying, when he brings somebody to mind and you pray for them? Does he hear you? Yes. Why? Because he already knows your need. And he already knows their needs. So for sure he hears you. It's not like the only prayers that he ever hears are the ones inside of the room. The point is, he's just already made it evident to you. He knows what your needs are. He knows what other people's needs are. So when you pray, it's, pray about him, it's obvious that he knows it. But I think when we get to this point, when we're like, holy crap, if my whole prayer life has revolved around somebody else's needs and my needs, and now he says he knows all of them, what the world am I supposed to pray about? Right? Like, what am I supposed to do if he already knows those things? I think we're right at the place where Jesus would want us to be. Right? We're right at the place where now, if you're answer, asking that question, if you're honest, and you're asking that question, Jesus is like, okay, now I can teach you. Because now at least you're honest that you've been praying like this for a really long time, and Jesus is like, well, I already know all those things, so now let me teach you the purpose of prayer. Then we can get into or understand what he's talking about. So this is what he says. Verse 9. So if he already knows our needs, how should we pray? So he says, then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So again, he starts with this. We're praying to a Father who's in heaven, sitting at the right hand of, of God. Is, you know, he is almighty. He's powerful. He spoke the universe into existence. So he is God. We're going to speak to him as a Father. But then he tells us, this is what our prayer should be. This is the purpose of prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, one of the things I want to share to you is this idea of, like, what's on the other side of surrender? So, think about this for a second. So, think about what's on the other side of surrender for you personally, and then what's going to be on the other side of surrender when it comes to faith. So, I thought about this as I was preparing the message this week. So, do you remember when you were a kid, or do you remember when your kids were kids, and you put them in swim lessons, right? And some of your kids were daredevils, and they're like, they just jump out into the deep and drown, you know? And other ones would be like the ones hanging on the edge of the, the pool, you know? And that little lifeguard lady would be like, oh, just come out here. Just kick. You, you won't sink, you know? And they're like, I'm not leaving the side of the pool. But as a parent, you force them 
to surrender, right? That's what you're doing. You're forcing them to surrender. And part of the reason you're forcing them to surrender is, like, you want to go swimming and not worry about them drowning, right? So, like, you want to teach your kids how to swim. So if you don't teach your kids how to swim, then you're always looking around like, are they drowning in the pool or, you know, whatever those things are. So you want to teach your kids how to swim. So when our kids were young, that's what we did. We're like, hey, just trust the, you know, the lifeguard. Like, they'll do great. You got to let go of the side of the pool so that you can go out there and that you can learn to swim. So now I think back about on the other side of that surrender, because they chose to surrender and because they learned to swim and because they have a love for the water, on the other side of it, we as a family have been able to experience a lot of incredible times out on the water wakeboarding and wake surfing and skiing and barefooting, you know, everything that's on that end of the spectrum that we would have never been able to experience if the kids wouldn't have first surrendered to somebody else and been able to say, okay, I'm going to surrender and learn to swim. Does that make sense? So you surrender, and then on the other side of surrender, you get to experience things in life that you never get to experience unless you Surrender, right? Same concept. So when my kids were little, uh, I was involved in youth uh, over in Adams County, and so we used to do ski trips every single year. So we went up to to Cab Refay, and we'd go up and we'd learn to ski, and so, or take all the kids up there to ski, and so I always took the kids with me, you know, and so since the kids were little, they always went on these ski trips with me, and I think the bunny hills are stupid, you know, and so I'm like, we're not going on the bunny hill, you know, because the bunny hill has that little rope thing and people are falling. Anybody ever do that, right? Like you're skiing and they have that little rope thing that you're pulling on and everybody's falling down and everybody gets caught in the rope. Nobody been to the ski slope? No? No skiers? Anyway, there's this little rope thing that you hold on to and your little kids are supposed to make their way up to the top of that and you ski down and it has like 20 feet for them to learn. I'm like, ah, there's not enough room to learn. You're going to the top with me. So we go to the top of the mountain. And so every one of my kids learned to ski in between my legs, right? So I'd put them in between my legs and we would ski down the mountain and we had a few yard sales, you know, where everything went everywhere. But by the time that we were done, my kids surrendered to me. Not sure that was the greatest idea, but they did. And then they learned how to snow ski. Now, on the other side of that, my children have been able to experience some of the most beautiful places in the world on skis and snowboards on the top of mountains, seeing beauty that you would never be able to see anywhere else other than skis or snowboards. In fact, Brady went heli-skiing last year where they take you on a helicopter and they fly you to the top of this mountain and essentially you jump out of the helicopter and you ski down to the bottom and get on a helicopter again. And again, Sherry's worried that because like they were, she, he was sending pictures and it was a little sketchy and I'm like, ah, he'll be okay. You know, but he, again, he got to experience beauty that he would have never been able to experience if he wouldn't have surrendered when he was little to trust me, right? So it all makes sense, right, that on the other side of surrender are experiences in life that you'll never get to experience unless you surrender to this fear, right? Like this fear of, you know, whatever it is and trust somebody else to do it. Well, the same thing is in faith. So this is what he's asking you to do. You know why it's important to go into a room and close the door? 
Because he needs to get alone with you to see whether or not you're willing to surrender your will to his will. Now, I know for most of us, it's easy to say it, right? Oh, yeah, I would do, you know, God's will. But will you really? Like, are you open to go into this room and say, no matter what you ask me, where you ask me to move, what you ask me to do, what you ask me to give, what you ask me to do for a career or not as a career, are you really willing to sit in that room and let God reveal to you what he wants? Now, I know a lot of us would be like, yeah, except for, right? Like, except I'm not going to move, except I'm not going to give, except I'm, I got to go to this certain college, I have to have this certain job, I have to make a certain amount of money, I have to, right? Like, sure, as long as it doesn't interrupt your plans, right? Like, God, I'll do your will all day long as long as it just fits in the, like, scope of what I want to do, right? But what happens when your will and his will clashes, right? What happens when he's asking you to surrender and surrender makes no sense? And this is what... Um, Sherry and I had a lot of time to reflect during the time that she was sick. It's one of the things that I thank God for is that we did have an opportunity to talk a lot, you know, about history. And one of the things that uh, we talked a lot about is, like, the what ifs. Like, what if we wouldn't have? You know, because one of the most um, important things for us during this time when she was sick and now that she's gone is our church family right? The people that have become the people that we love, the people that we uh, spend so much time with, the people that have prayed for us and served us and helped us. And you know, her and I both said, you know, we were at a place where his will and our will were in conflict, right? Like her will was to stay in the house that she just built beside her parents that lived right beside us to have our kids going to school with the friends that they knew all of their life and, and be able to stay. Like, that was her will. But then here's what came in conflict, right? But God's will is that we plan a church. And we had a choice. We didn't have to come and do this, right? Like, everybody gets choices to do you can either surrender to the will of God or you can do your own will. And we think back on, like, what would have happened if we would have never done this? And, and we have said, and she said this, like, the beauty of the friendships and the things that God has done that we would have missed out on if we would have not surrendered back then. Like, how crazy would it have been? In fact, you know, when it comes to surrender, like, we think that it's easy, but even in the midst of it, because Sherry's like, hey, I'll plan a church. Like, I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to give up. I'm willing to do. But the only place that I'm not going to go is, anybody got a guess? Huntington, right? Like, it's the only place we're never going to go. It's too big of a city. It's, isn't that funny to think Huntington's a big city? We grew up in Monroe. Like, my graduating class was 89 people. So that gives you a concept of what the difference was for us. But it came to the place where Sherry said, God, I don't know what's on the other side of surrender. But she said this, I trust you. And the beauty on the other side of surrender is something that you will never know until you surrender, 
right? And so the purpose of prayer is to figure out how you're going to get alone and how you're going to open yourself up to. Like he already knows your needs. Say them, keep saying them. But the thing that he really needs to work on with you and me is are you willing to surrender to his will? And are you willing to do what he's called you to do regardless of what it costs you, right? That's the purpose of what prayer is. Now, what we're going to get into today is the three Ps. So we're going to talk about two of them today, and then we're going to talk about the third one next week. But the three Ps are provision, pardon, and protection. Provision, pardon, and protection. That's the next part of what he gets into when it comes to how we should continue to pray. So now you're in a room, you've surrendered your will to his will, and then he says, there's some more work that you're going to have to do inside of this room. Here's what he says next. This is the next thing that you should pray. This is verse 11. Give us today our daily bread. Now, in America, (laughs) why would we ever pray that? I think we probably have plenty of our daily bread. In fact, at the 4-H fair last week, I had way more than my daily bread, right? Like, how often is it that we are really concerned with whether or not you have enough to eat? Right? I mean, how often are we ever thinking like, in fact, I would say if you go through most pantries, we could go a while, right? Like, you could go a while on the food that we have. So this whole idea of, like our daily bread and that we should be praying for our daily bread, I think it's difficult for Christian people in the 21st century to relate with because why would I pray for something that doesn't make any sense? Well, Jesus knew that clear back then, right? Because immediately when Jesus prayed this prayer, you know what the Jewish people went to, right? As soon as, as, soon as Jesus said, you should be praying for your daily bread, you know where their minds went to? Their ancestors who'd escaped from Egypt. Do you remember their story? So they escaped from Egypt, and when they escaped from Egypt, they went out into the wilderness, and guess what happened when they went out of the wilderness? They ran out of food, and then they start grumbling, and then they start complaining, right, that we don't have enough food. So what does Jesus do? Does he give them six months' worth of store? Right? He gives them manna, from heaven, right? How much manna did he give them? Only enough for one day. And what happened if you were a sneaker and you tried to store some up because you didn't want to go out the next day? It was rotten, right? Like you didn't get that chance. Why, right? Why wouldn't God make life easy and just give you a week's worth, right? Gather it all up, then you don't have to go out. It's because Jesus, through things that he does, is always trying to teach us lessons. What's the lesson that he's trying to teach you? Daily dependence, reliance, right? right? He's trying to teach you, you need to rely on me daily, right? You need to, and here's why. If you follow the story of the nation of Israel, were they always without? Were they always poor? No, they had a lot of plenty at times, right, where other nations were coming to them. But you know what Jesus knew? In times of plenty, the natural tendency of people is to forget God, right? So he's teaching them this concept that would say, whether you have plenty or whether you are in want, 
you need to remember that I am the God of daily provision, right? Now, if you've never experienced this, at some point in life, you will experience this. You'll be reminded that God is your daily provider, right? And you'll be reminded that he is your daily provision. But until that time, God says, you need to live and remind yourself every single day that God is the one who provides for you daily and that he is going to be your daily provision. And so that's why he says every day you need to get up and get into your room and you need to say, you know, God, thank you for our daily bread. You know, now here's a verse that I want you to go back into and I want you to look at. This is Proverbs 30, and it's going to be verses 8 through 9. It's not going to be up on the screen, but it would be something that I want you to go back and look at. So Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says this. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. It says, give me neither poverty, which is we're all like, amen, right? Like that's the easy part to pray. Like don't give me poverty. But the next thing that he says in uh, the scripture is, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. So he says, when we pray, one of the things that we need to pray is, don't make me rich and don't make me poor. And the question is, why? Right? Well, in the, the writer of Proverbs, he says, here's the wisdom. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Right? Now, you all know this, right? You've experienced this, I think. When you were hurting, and, and you were in need, was it easy to look to God? Like when you need something, is it easy to be like, and is it easy to call upon, because we know if God doesn't come through, we're in trouble, right? So it's easy to do that. But what happens when you don't need anything? Is it as easy? It's really not, is it? Because you don't really wake up every day thinking, what do I need to pray about or need? Because I really don't need anything. Right? Like it's all taken care of. And so he says, don't be, don't be above yourself when you say, well, otherwise I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Because there are times in our lives when we have too much that whether you like it or not, you've disowned the Lord because you don't need him anymore. Right? Or he says, or I become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. So he also says, don't make me in poverty because we all are the same type of people. When we're in need, we're going to figure out how to meet the need, right? Like we're a resourceful group of people. And so if we don't have enough to take care of our family, we're going to figure out how to take care of our family. And don't be above thinking that we would, you know, beg, borrow, and steal to be able to get it done, right? So he says, only give me what I need so that I can be daily dependent on you. Don't put me on one extreme or the other. Now, he goes on, so he says, you should pray about your daily bread so we can learn uh, daily dependence. And then the second thing is, is the pardon part, right? So it's provision and now pardon. So he says in verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I'm going to try to do the best I can to explain this um, for two reasons. One is, is that it's my prayer for every single in this person in this room that you truly understand what salvation is and that you have every opportunity possible to make a decision for Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior because I want to see you in eternity someday. And I don't want it to be because you didn't hear or you don't understand. Here's what we know about everybody in this room. Everybody in this room, including me, 
has, has been or will be at this point. We are all sinners that fall short of the glory of God, right? And we all understand that we cannot stand in front of a holy God with sin in our life, right? We all know that, right? Here's a holy God we can't stand. So there has to be a fix to the sin problem. God said the fix to the sin problem is I'm going to send my son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And when he dies on a cross, his blood will be the atoning sacrifice for my sin and your sin, right? So that when we as people make a decision, I don't want to pay for my sin, we have an atoning sacrifice in Jesus, which we can say, Jesus, Lord of my life, will you pay for my sin and he will pay for your sin, right? And that then, once Jesus Christ has paid for your sin and his blood covers your sin, you can now stand in front of a holy God in righteous standing, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus did for you. So when you stand in front of God, he doesn't see your sin, but he sees the blood of Jesus who covers your sin. Right? Okay. So for anybody who wants to be saved, the message of salvation is clear. If you want Christ to pay for your sins, you just have to ask him and believe in him and trust in him, and he will pay for your sins. And here's what we know. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is the, the picture you don't want to forget, all of your sins in the past, forgiven. All the sins in the present, forgiven. What about all the sins in the future? Forgiven, right? All of your sins are forgiven, right? So do you ever think about this? So then why do I need to ask for forgiveness when they're already forgiven? This is kind of how the first service did. They're kind of like, I don't know. I never really thought about that. Would you ever think through that? Like if you've already, because I want you to think about this. If you die with unforgiven sin in your life, okay? Let's say that you're having a bad day, you know, and you've messed up quite a few times and you die in a car accident on the way home. Are you, and you have unforgiven sin. You didn't get a chance to ask for forgiveness. Are you still going to be in heaven? Please say yes, or otherwise we're going to have to go through the whole salvation thing again. Yes. Why? Because the blood of Jesus Christ covers all sin, past, present, and future, meaning even if it doesn't utter from your mouth the idea to for, ask for forgiveness, your sin is still forgiven and you will still stand in front of a holy God in righteous standing because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did and not what you've ever done. Okay, so we all clear on that? Okay. So now we're at this place where he says, but we should ask for forgiveness of sins. Why? Why then as Christian people should we then ask, if it has no effect on our eternity, you know, after the moment of salvation, if it has no effect on our eternity, why would you ask for forgiveness? Here's the reason. Asking forgiveness for your sins gives you a right view of yourself, okay? The reason, like, when I was young, so my parents used to say when you go to bed at night make sure that you pray and ask for forgiveness for all of your sins and I'm like 
Judas, that page is long, and there's no way I'm going to remember all of them, right? Like, unless I just write down every time I sin during the day, I'm never going to be able to keep track of them all. And I always worried that, you know what, when you go to bed, what happens if you forget one? You know what I mean? I was always worried, like, what if I forgot about that one that I did really early in the day, and then I never got to, you know, ask for it? Back then, I was like, crap, I might miss out because I forgot that one. Now I realize that's not what asking for forgiveness was at all. Asking for forgiveness was just a reminder that even though I'm a saved child of God, I'm still a heathen. Right? And I know maybe none of you guys think you are, but you are. Right? Regardless of how long you've been in church, you're your righteous acts are like filthy rags. You're still a heathen. You know, until you get a right view of yourself, and this is so important, you will never be able to get a right view of other people. You hear me? Like this is, don't miss this, because that's what he says next. Ask for forgiveness and forgive other people, right? That's, he puts those two things together for a reason. Ask for forgiveness because it helps you remind you that you're a heathen and it's okay, right? Like we all make mistakes. It's good to get a right view of yourself because then you can have a right view of other people. I've already, I've said this a hundred times. You know what part of the problem with the church is? You know what problem with Christian people are at times? They have a wrong view of themselves. They think a lot more of themselves than they really should. In fact, when Sherry and I would talk. This was one of our ongoing jokes. A lot of us had friends outside of Life Church that went to other churches, and we'd be hanging out with them and talking to them, and they'd be like, yeah, we got this friend, and they would go through this list of like um, all of the things that they'd been doing wrong, and they're like, you know, I can't bring them to my church, but I'm sure they'd fit in at Life. And I'm always like, I'm not really sure what that means, you know, or how, that's, how that all fits in. But you know what they were saying? You know why they wouldn't fit in at their church? It's because the people in their church were a bunch of religious people who had a wrong view of themselves and thought they were way more important than they really are and thought they were way better than they really are and they were judging all of these other people by pointing fingers at them because they didn't think themselves that they were heathen. Right? Like you, if you have a right view of yourself, that's what I love about Life Church. We all just know we're on the same journey. We're all messed up. Right? Like, and if you don't think you're messed up, you won't stay here very long because we're all messed up. Right? And people have it. Like, if you come here for a while and you don't think you're messed up, you'll leave because you're like, these are all a bunch of messed up people. And I'm like, I know, isn't it great? You know, this is what's so awesome about Life Church is you get to hang out with a bunch of messed up people that love each other because we're all on the same journey, right? Jesus Christ tells us, like, the way that you're going to be known in this world, right, the way that you're going to be known is not by how you pray. It's not going to be how many Bible studies you go to. It's not going to be how many times you attend church. You know how you're going to be known? It's how you love other people. And remember, nobody is fascinated by people who love people that love them back. Nobody's fascinated by that, right? I mean, that's easy. Everybody does that, right? Everybody loves somebody that loves them in return. You know what fascinates a world that is watching is when Christian people love people that in their minds and in the world's minds don't deserve to be loved. 
right? And that is the call of Christian people. So the worship team's going to come back up. I want to give you some things to think about, some things to process. One is going to be, I'm going to read the rest of the scripture, and I'm going to give you some things to be pondering for next week. Um, But here's what it says in uh, verse 13 through 15. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that's what we're going to talk about next week. But here's what he says in verse 14. But if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others of their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. That's somewhat sobering, isn't it? I mean, I want you to think about this. Because I don't know if you're like me. I sometimes am a grudge holder. You know, like that person that's really ground you the wrong way. You know what I mean? Like you're thinking, if I could just talk to that person, it's not going to... You know what I mean? Like you just have the... Like people that have hurt you, right? People that have wronged you, and you want to make, I think, if you're like me, you want to make the wrong right, right? Like many times throughout the course of working inside of the church, this has been something that, you know, we've seen over and over again. People talk about you all the time. Like when you're in leadership, people always have something to say, you know what I mean? And whether it's good or whether it's bad, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, this is something that I had to get used to. I had to get used to, number one, remembering something. Listen, I'm falling too. I'm not going to take what they're saying personally. I'm going to continue to love them. I'm going to continue to to push into the things that God wants in my life. Because here's what we have to remember. You know those people that religious people point fingers at? Do you realize those are the ones that God wants to reach and you can't reach them by pointing your finger at them? Right? Right? And until you sit down and get a right view of yourself and be reminded you yourself are a fallen human being, you yourself are somebody who needs the the grace and forgiveness. Like the reason that you can forgive other people is not because they deserve it. You know why you can forgive other people? Because you were forgiven. You can forgive other people because you were first forgiven. And guess what? I know you don't want to hear this. You didn't deserve it. And neither did I. And I'm so thankful that I got what I didn't deserve. And that's what I want for so many people. And that's what I want for us as Christians to remember. We need to get into this room and we need to surrender to the will of God because I'm just telling you, some of you guys don't know what's on the other side of surrender, but God's waiting to show you. He's waiting to move you to this other side of surrender. He has a plan. There's something that hangs in the balance. Don't miss what he has for you. Don't miss what it means to get inside of your room and thank him for your daily provision. Thank him for our daily bread. Thank him that he is the one who says that he will always meet our daily needs. He doesn't say anything about tomorrow. Right? Like I want him to fix tomorrow. He says, we got enough to do today. Let's work on today. And he says, Mike, be reminded that you are a sinner forgiven by the grace of God. 
And that's what this world needs, is for you to love other sinners forgiven by the grace of God. May we extend that to them. So will you stand so I can pray for you? So Heavenly Father, we come to you, Lord, and we're thankful that we can approach you in prayer. And we're thankful, Lord, that um, we can sit back and be humble enough to say, teach me how to pray. And so, Lord, teach us how to pray. Heavenly Father, as we're teaching us how to pray, allow us to have the courage to get in a room and listen to what you have to say. Listen and surrender to your will. Lord, let us be reminded today that we're so thankful for what you've given us today. Don't miss the blessings of today by thinking about tomorrow. Don't let us get so caught up in this scarcity mindset of not knowing whether or not we'll have enough when we should be just worried about our daily bread. And Heavenly Father, may we get a right view of ourselves so that we can have a right view of other people. May we be a group of Christian people who love people the way they deserve to be loved. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Just what to do Sing that again God, I look to you I won't be overwhelmed Give me vision things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will God, I look to you, I won't be overwhelmed, 
things like you do. God, I look to you. You're where my help comes from. Give me wisdom. You know just what to do. And I will love you, Lord, my strength. And I will Yes, hallelujah, our God reigns. Oh, hallelujah, our God reigns. Forever all my days, hallelujah. And hallelujah, our God reigns, we sing. So here's our challenge as we continue to build this out and pray. So find a room, get alone, and start unpacking some of the hard stuff, right? Surrendering to his will and not your will. Asking him what it is that you want from his kingdom and not our kingdom. 
come to the place where we don't want more than we need or less than what we can handle, but just give us enough for the daily uh, needs that we have. Live in a way that we don't have scarcity mindset, but live in a way that we know that it'll take care of us. And get a right view of yourself. Because in having a right view of ourselves, we can then have a right view of other people, and God can use us in amazing ways. So thanks, everybody, for being here with us at our main campus. Thanks for joining us online. We'll see you guys next week.